There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The choice of a lawyer is important and shouldn't be based on an ad. If you're seriously hurt in an accident, you'll want all the money you deserve. That's called justice. But there wouldn't be lawyers if justice was easy. No, justice is not easy. It's fought for and it's won. At Brown and Crouppen, we fight for justice every day. If you want some, call 222-2222. Because at Brown and Crouppen, justice is our business. You never know what's going to be said when the mics are open. It could be an FCC violation. It's a hot mic, Ed. Especially with the way that Doug uh, talks. Yeah. Doug throws around really aggressive language in yeah. the breaks. I get I get quite hostile. He's berate the entire house. Now I have to settle back into my radio persona. Well, here comes Ken Strode. He is. made it Ken's on that. Strode. That's on time to me. That count that is on time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We he's been told by management that, that he needs to get back uh, on time. Right? for. Well, he's vital. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Vital. I was on time. I need to go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's... Uh... <laughs> uh, Ed Herman of Brown and Crouppen uh, here in studio. Ken Strode also in studio. And it is TMA presented by Brown and Crouppen. Uh, here as we welcome Ed in. Kelly Chase going to be in studio in the 9 o'clock hour. So uh, we are locked and we are loaded. Ed, you were asking us what topics we discussed in the 7 o'clock hour, and that was kind of like holding up a mirror to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. That I got to tell you, I was not impressed. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Pulling the sponsorship? I'm like, you know, I'm just saying, I mean, that's, uh, you know, whether or not you need to rake out a, a, a bunker uh, well, like, the last group of the to. day. Right. I mean, well, would you rake it? Of course, you rake it. Yes. Yeah, you got to maintain the good habit. You right. know, there's like an you etiquette. Want to give your counterpoint. We tried to explain that. There's no reason to. <laughs> no, I know. There is. I mean, there's. There's not. Uh, I mean, just to maintain the habit. You know, if you start, you know, filtering when you have to do certain ritualistic things, you're going to break the habit. The best way to keep a ritual is keep a ritual. Mm-hmm. Well, caddy knows. The caddy's been caddying long enough. He knows that it's the first round. He's in the third hole. I'm not going to rake it because I didn't rake it last Saturday. Just rake yeah. the darn bunker and you be know. done with it. You know, avoid the bunker in the first place. You know, that's what that's, I tell my player, dude. That's that's the goal of the game. You're not even supposed to be in there. We make it easy. You do what they do at the British Open. You have the people that work at the golf course do the do the raking. Is that you know it is? So you you, uh, you I think you would have thrived in the uh, in the late 1700s, 1800s. I think you'd have done really well. No, they they rake it still. Yeah. The British they Open, they and they get paid for it. Rake. They don't, don't the caddies don't rake it at the British Open. Want to be? Wait, well, that's you know, England. They've got a way of doing things. I don't think I, you should have to do any of that stuff on the course. Uh, it would be nice if it was a full service course, especially if mm-hmm. it's a private club. They should do all of that, but they don't. So you got to do it. I mean, they should be replacing divots. They should be uh, fixing little with little dents mm-hmm. in the green. Well, that takes two seconds. Everything takes two seconds. No, How long does it take you to rake a bunker? Raking a bumper bunker properly you see guys if the guy's in a greenside bunker the other caddy washes the guy's ball because he's in the bunker 
he waits for the other guy to putt because he doesn't want to rake while the guy's putting. I mean, there's sometimes they're in there for four minutes. Oh, I think God. the players That's, need that, to do a little bit more work themselves. That seems a little crazy. I agree with that. You I think don't it like would motivate them to be better? They lay the putter or a club on the bag when the bag is laying on the ground. Like, and it takes one second to just mm. slide it into the holster. Yeah, I like that holster. I think no. that's what it should be. So you called. can see how this this topic no. takes up an entire mm-hmm. seven Listen, o'clock hour. And now, uh, <laughs> what kind of liability might you have if people are driving on the road and are put to sleep and cause an accident? Doug, oh Doug. gosh. I don't think that's on us. They don't pay to play here. Uh, you're, are, you're the counselor. <laughs> are, are, you know, I'm, I'm just saying, I see a theory of liability there emerging out of this bunker discussion. <laughs> I think you could change oh. the channel if you thought it would wake you up. Well, but that's the thing is you never know, you know? Mm, you I mean, it could right go either off. way, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this thing could be just cruising along beautifully yeah. and then just take that sharp right right off that cliff. <laughs> And all of us would be liable. We'd all get sued. Uh, Every one of us. They're definitely coming after your personal assets. Probably so. And that'll take care of the first, you know, 10 bucks of the judgment. Oh, my God. Oh, you're taking a shot. I guess I'm next. I'm just having a little fun here at everyone else's expense. Uh, Mr. Licks is a texter on the program, uh, one one of the favorites of the audience. And he says, Iggy is so upset about having to show up on time after a commercial break that he's actually begun to berate the title sponsor of the show. That's from Mr. There it is. Well, I, I don't when think it's because I you, in, No, no. I, I, oh, come on. I feel that. Uh, no, are you kidding me? I feel like uh, every week, and tell me if I'm reading this wrong, Iggy, but I feel like you welcome me with open arms. I love when you're in here. This yeah, is, there you, you go. see it? Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people out try, there trying to create false controversy. <laughs> That's exactly right. We, we, it's hard to believe. No, yeah, on yeah. this program. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we've got a great thing going on over here. You better believe it. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I heard you've already discussed at nauseum Brandon uh, Crawford. Oh, I wouldn't say that. Um, what, what is, what's the fans would. Of? No. No, the, fa- the fans no. were really, well, I, I felt like yesterday there was a lot of either exaggeration over how great this was as in acquiring him. Really? A 194 hitter right. last year? Yeah, Which no, that's just what everyone's looking for. The Plowhawk got uh, into a discussion, I'll call it, with the great Tom Ackerman of KMOX yeah, okay. over it. Uh, and then uh, and then some are saying, oh, look at this. This is another example of the Cardinals being cheap. And I just kind of feel like they need a guy. The bigger issue is that they overestimated Tommy Edmonds' availability, and so now they have to have a fallback position. That, to me, is the biggest. Listen, that's all. It's just a little bit of infield depth. And if you get the 2021 version of Brandon Crawford, then, you know, it's a steal to have that kind of presence on the bench. Gold glove. He had a nice little combination of little power, a little speed that year, and, you know, not a bad glove. But, um, I, you know, I know a lot of people are concerned that the average age of the Cardinals has really skyrocketed seemingly this mm-hmm. offseason. Now, maybe not with the retirement of, like, Wainwright. That helped bring it down a little bit. But, uh, you know, with, between Gibson, Lynn, and, and now Crawford, yeah. you've, you've And uh, Carpenter. And Carpenter, of course, yeah. yeah. You've yeah. taken the average age probably over 30. Yeah, I, I actually, know, it's 37 I don't know if this is accurate. There was a tweet. So three years ago when Arenado was signed, he went the ninth oldest player on the team. Three years later... He's the tenth oldest player on the team. Oh wow! This could be the oldest Cardinal team weird? ever. Like, yeah, no, you really you wouldn't expect to see to see that. But again, we're not in that clubhouse. And this uh, the comments that he had made um, after they signed Carpenter about the need for more veteran leadership, mentors for the younger players, kind of thing, change the culture a little bit more professional. I mean, it's hard for us to measure those things. We're not in the clubhouse. I have to trust that somebody there maybe knows what they're doing. 
Am I? Is that too big of a no, leap? No, no, that's what we're no, trusting. I, I understand it. It's a weird deal. I, I, I know. I definitely know. I've said this on TMA before, but I don't know if I've said it to you. I, I would imagine one of the best Cardinal teams you've seen is the 2004 team. Oh yeah, yeah. That uh, team was amazing. Yeah. I mean, that Jim uh, Edmonds, Scott Rowland, Albert Pujols, uh, all in right there, there, all in their prime. Sure, and surrounded by guys like Larry Walker and Edgar Renteria. Uh, it's it was up and down. When you look at that lineup, you go, holy crap, how did that team not win? And they just didn't have the starting pitching by the time that World Series rolled around. Chris Carpenter was hurt. Either way, you have a number of guys who either will be in the Hall of Fame or had they stayed healthy, like Carpenter, for example, who may have been in the Hall of Fame who were in, on that roster, including Yadier Molina, who was just getting going but was more Matheny's backup at the time. With that said, having been around that team on a regular basis, uh, the leaders on the team were not any of the the MV3. They were Mike Matheny on the position player side and Woody Williams on the on the pitching side. And you would never think if you name five players from 2004, you wouldn't name those guys. So my reason for bringing that up, even though I think that this is an odd thing that the Cardinals are trying to frame it as, is sometimes the best players aren't necessarily the leaders and the lesser players aren't necessarily the followers. That's absolutely true. I mean, that's why it's all about a team chemistry and what everybody sort of brings to the table. I mean, you look at the great Red Sox teams and they'll all tell you that Jason Veritek was their, yeah. was their captain. He was their spiritual center, but that's yeah, obviously David Ortiz and Dustin Pedroia and... And uh, Manny Ramirez, you know, he had all these huge bats and uh, great pitchers like Pedro Martinez and Kurt Schilling. But they'll they'll tell you Jason Veritek, you know, was there, was the heart and soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I don't think that that's. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. And you do see the catchers as quite often being that person because they're so aware of every aspect of the game. They're the only player that's sort of involved in every aspect of the game, and they're watching the whole game. They're seeing it all yeah. play out right in front of them the whole time. That makes I sense. think that's why so many of them become good managers. Sure, you saw it with Osmus and Matheny as an example. Yeah, and guys like Joe Torre, they yeah. had great managing careers, and Girardi Bochy. and Bruce Bochy. Bochy, yeah, you're right. Um, uh, Bob Yogi Brandley. Barrow was a manager for a long time. Yeah. Uh, you know, he didn't have the, the most success, but he did. I, I yeah. think uh, I think technically took the 73 Mets to the to the World Series. Mm-hmm. Wasn't he their manager? Doug, were those the Amazons? Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure he managers. was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, that was Willie Mays last year. Uh, that's one of my favorite baseball cards. I know we talked about that several weeks ago. Is great baseball cards, but as far as beautiful cards go, the 1973 Topps Willie Mays baseball card. It's the only card he has with the New York Mets, and it is just a beautiful card. Big smile on his face. Do you guys know it? Can you picture it? I can't. Uh, I don't think I have. Any, any, anybody out there? Call it out there. I. I uh, that is one of those cards that I that I love. Uh, people, a lot of times, they don't necessarily remember that he finished his career. A lot of those guys, see, that happened back then. You had the New York teams that went out to California and the Giants and the Dodgers. And then a lot of those veteran ballplayers, at the very, very end of their career, they returned to New York and played for the Mets. You know, Duke Snyder did it too. Mm-hmm. And it was just sort of like a last little tip of the hat to the original fans that had followed them in the early parts of their career. But um, but Willie Mays fell into that category. You yeah. could imagine what it must have been like if you had watched him as a New York Giant fan all those years. Then you had to watch him go off to San Francisco, yeah. oh, have yeah. his career. But then he comes back that one last year, even though he was just a shell, shadow of himself, but they go to the World mm-hmm. Series with him. Or to be a Brooklyn Dodger fan and how proud they were to have this Jewish kid become the star, and then they moved to Los Angeles. They did, yeah, but he yep. never got the chance to come back and, and, no. and finish out mm-hmm. with the Mets. He was so young when he was forced out of the game 
that uh, which which led to him is Sandy Koufax. He was the youngest uh, youngest ever admitted to the Hall of Fame because yeah. of that. Uh, Ed, how about this one? From uh, we have a listener who's our chairman. His name's Chairman Steve in Wildwood, and he says, "I met Ed and his brother at the soccer game Saturday. What a delight!" I was gonna I was gonna mention you, Steve. Uh, yeah, he he came up to me. Uh, we were in the uh, the Mineta Pitch Club. Uh, I, this is the first time I had ever gone to uh, St. Louis, you know, uh, SC. Uh, game. I didn't get to go last year. This was the opener on Saturday night, which I'm sure you've all been there by now. But for anybody mm. out there that has not had an opportunity yet to go down to one of these soccer games, it was fabulous. What a stadium. I mean, it it really felt like St. Louis had done something right. I agree. Really with that. right. It's, it's so impressive. I, it, didn't you feel like it was just like cutting edge and clean, that there was just an energy there. Just, the lines were sharp. I guess the mm-hmm. best way to describe it is, and I would imagine probably 90-plus percent of the people listening to this show right now have seen it, as you're driving along downtown St. Louis, whether you're heading westbound or eastbound on market, it just stands out as like, oh, we've moved into either 2024 or maybe even the future. Yeah. It just stands out as a well, pristine and, and the vibe. You know, yes, that's you know, the thing. Yeah, you've you've got a, a, a field the size of a football field, but you've actually got a capacity very similar to what you'd get at like an enterprise center. I think it was a sellout. It had 22,500 people. So it never, it, it doesn't feel like you're right on top of everybody. I mean, you feel like you're at something that's much larger because of the size of the field, but with the same number of people that you'd have in a smaller arena. So it just... The energy was amazing. The layout, it, it didn't feel like there was a bad seat in the place. It felt like everybody was just having a good... It was cold. You know, I had to go to the gift shop, and, you know, I'm a delicate flower when it comes to <laughs> oh, temperature. I yeah, I can't sit out in the cold anymore, not since yeah. I got so light. You know, you, you really... That's the only time you miss all that extra body fat. But I went, <laughs> I bought a sweatshirt, I had to buy a hat, I bought a, a, a blanket. That's the secret you in the stadium, too. Blanket. The, don't underestimate. Oh. Uh, you know what? You want little tips of staying warm in stadiums. You want that blanket. Is that right? You do. What you, do you do? You cover. You cover your legs, and then like yes, bundle. you cover the legs, wrap them around the legs, old lady style. You know, <laughs> don't, don't be shy about that. But you want to get them underneath your legs too, because the seat's always cold. Mm-hmm. So you want to get that. Oh, that's a nice play. That yeah, makes sense. Yeah, you yeah. toast up that behind. Oh, that's the key. Put that off, Doug. Yeah, yeah, you toast up the behind. So I went. I bought all that stuff. I I, I wound up spending two hundred and thirty-four dollars on merchandise just to stay warm. That said, it was worth every penny because once I was warm, the game was a delight. Now, I was lucky in that I didn't have to pay for the tickets. Um, my brother's company, I don't know if you know Whipley, they're a, like a big accounting firm and they it was their seat. So I th- a little shout out to them. Thank you for inviting me and including me. Uh, but that little pitch club, you want to talk about some good food? Oh what my, they have in oh my God! I don't. How do you pronounce that fancy that beef bourgeois? Oh my God! That sounds like a place you would hit. Yeah, <laughs> that. I let me tell you, that was really good. And they had some chicken fricassee in there. Oh. They had. I mean, it was like. Uh, I don't. No knock on the Cardinals Club because I've had many a nice experience there. I felt the food here was a little bit elevated. Oh, yeah. You know, and um, the whole team uh, sets up in that room before the game because that's I guess they call it the pitch club. So all the players are right in there with us. And um, I don't know any of them because I don't follow it that closely. But mm-hmm. but they were there, and and uh, they go running out onto the field, and then we go right behind them up to our seats. It was a pretty cool experience. But um, great crowd, man! It was a beautiful night too. That night we had the full moon, yeah, and nothing mm-hmm. else in the sky. 
So it was a pitch black sky, not a star to be found, and then this gigantic cheese moon. I mean, it was, just, it was a thing to behold. You going to become a regular at City Games? Let me tell you, I, 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 I would love to. If anyone's out there and, and wants to bring a delightful guest with them, uh, <laughs> delightful guest. I'm making myself available really? because, uh, you know, it's uh, I don't know. I guess they must have some pretty dedicated fans because oh, yeah. uh, they had a crew of people out there. There was music. There was like almost like a pep band in the, in the uh, stands and waving these huge flags around. I mean, people were having a blast. Yeah. And you know what I noticed, too? I like, and this is new with a lot of stadiums, where they will get local restaurants, well-known places, to go in and do an in-stadium version of their stuff. And I noticed that Antonino's Tavern mm -hmm. has a, a place in the soccer, uh, and I think Amagetti's, I, I spotted them in there. There's a lot of your neighbors others. on the hill. Yeah, I, let me tell you, it gets me excited. I like that. Uh, Kansas City did the same thing in their airport. Now the new Kansas City Airport has like whole areas that are filled with the great little local yeah. Kansas City mm -hmm. places having their version in the airport. I like that it gives out of towners an opportunity to kind of taste your city a little bit for uh, what might be their their one one stop in something other than the franchise restaurants you see everywhere. Right, right, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Great deal I, for the restaurants too. You know what? Why, why not? I mean, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. It just seems like so mm -hmm. much more fun than just walking around a stadium mm -hmm. and being offered up the same exact things and. 20 different locations. The other place that gets the most business at a Blues game now is Steve's Hot Dogs. Exactly. I mean, that's a perfect example of one, and, and uh, he's a great guy, and they make a hell of a hot dog. They do. Yeah. Uh, Ed, I don't know uh, your re response to this. Doug's uh, second favorite texture on the show is the recovering alcoholic. No. Uh, from Belleville and Webster Groves, and he loves your segment when you're in, and he says, Tim, I'd like to offer Ed my wife uh, no backdoor play just yet. Need a little counsel before I open that door. Quid pro quo. Ed, I just offered you my wife. So yes. I don't know. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> look, is there, a, I don't know if it's possible. Sorry, is there yeah. a way to attach a, you know, not that you I'm shallow, but yeah, I mean, if we could, if we could just it, attach it a. It seems reasonable. I, I think it's the right, I think yeah. that's the right response. Yeah, I know. Listen, first of all, it's a beautiful offer regardless of what she looks like. <laughs> I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth, uh, but I'd like to know them. if I'm looking at a gift horse. No, I've oh. had dinner with them both. She's very attractive. Is she? Yeah, and she's oh, Sunday. Yeah, he's lovely. been on the invite list. Listen, no, I've never been. And we, no, and Everybody we, and we, in this day has but me. And, and we know that, that uh, I mean, I trust you, Iggy, because your no, standards are very, very high. Right? And, she's, and she's a sweetheart, too. Um, how would you compare her to Leona Hemsley in terms of looks? <laughs> oh, dear is this, God. Is this a better-looking woman? Yeah, this, this uh -huh. doesn't take much to be better-looking. Oh. Well, listen. I'll, she I, was attractive when I had her. No. I think Iggy, yeah. that's the only oh, thing Iggy wow. regrets on this show. <laughs> Did you give her that look her. on her face that then remained permanently on there for the rest of her days? <laughs> oh, that sour no. expression? <laughs> you weren't the cause of that. How no, could you? Have she been? was. She was happy. I think that that happened when she got arrested for income tax evasion or whatever. She did. <laughs> you know, I, a woman that rich shouldn't be expected to pay all she of their taxes. Good in her mugshot. The next time he went to see her, Ed, she wouldn't. She wouldn't see him. Is that right? Yeah, she had been too hurt. He made a second trip no, up there, she and she didn't want anybody to know what happened, so she. Acted like she didn't know me, and then I got kicked out of the hotel. She had you know, summarily dispatched. That's hurt. That's hurtful. <laughs> that's hurtful. Well, Talk about a, that. Hurt. I had a hotel already, but I just she. I remember her telling me, so I'd rather stay in this than the Radisson at the Jersey Airport where I'm staying. I know, but this is a woman you had shared yourself with intimately. You okay, had you had given her a part of yourself. You had even maybe left her with a part of yourself. Oh, and am I wrong? Yeah, and it's, and, it's and, live. and but to be but to be waved off like that <laughs> on a second visit. I mean. Talk about the hurt. I got a, it didn't hurt at all. I got a gold bracelet out of it that I had for like ten years. <laughs> that before was I it. Lost I it. <laughs> you lost that bracelet or pawned it? Came it off at Whitmore Country Club. I couldn't find it. 
All right. That's if where anybody, it is, the Leona Helmsley bracelet. If, 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 if anybody at the Whitmore now, Country <laughs> Club has come across <laughs> a, a gold bracelet. It was a long time ago. You may have I lost it raking a sand trap. You know, I, I, I went back and re, re-shot every one of my holes where I was in each hole to see where it might have come off. I, I guarantee oh you it was a swing it caught on the glove or something. So I said, okay, let's go to three. I was in the rough here, and I'm looking. Couldn't find it. And would, would, would a metal detector pick up on Probably that? Was so, that, yeah. Did you try a metal detector? It wasn't detector? handy. So uh, I, I don't feel like it's uh, too late. Leona Helmsley mugshot. One of our listeners just texted well, me, and there she is. let me say this. You know what? I got to give you credit. She doesn't look bad there. The she kind of looks, yeah. I have nice to tell you, I got, I got to tell you, I kind of agree. Relative to what we probably remember her as when she was deemed the queen of mean. Right, and that that woman doesn't look like Doug the queen of mean. She looks like a delight. Her husband husband was you, you'd, a, you'd be happy to be with a woman that looked like that, would hus- you not? Her husband was extremely wealthy, so at some point she was probably very beautiful. I got to you say that. That's usually how it works. My cuz my only image of her in my head is really toward the very end there, yeah. you know. Had, had uh, a bit of a, a frozen scowl. She yeah, as, as she had met with with what felt like some permanent un- unhappiness, but mm. at that point with that smile, that looks like an eggy induced smile. I do. And yeah. uh, she looks quite good. You though. brought her pleasure. Yeah. No, I mean, she wasn't like the pictures. Everybody wants to post the mean pictures. <laughs> What about this picture? This was oh, sent to my lawyer. See, that's, There's that's, Iggy yeah, in a little though, Rasta hat. I didn't yeah. see that picture. I that's see that's that. the Hemsley that I know. Yeah, I didn't uh, get that one. Now, you know, this actually came up in a conversation the other day when we were at the soccer game. God. Is, would you... <laughs> Look at that. Leona I think he's a little dog. He's being helpful. Would you right now, would you, would you, if you had the opportunity to spend some intimate time uh-huh. with some aged legends just because... You this way you'd have it in your history. No. So mm-hmm. like you might have a Sophia Loren who's closing in on ninety. There. Sure. And Margaret is another Raquel one. Welch? She's got to be. Yeah. Well, she's dead now, Raquel Welch. So oh, you probably want to avoid oh, that. I, I thought you just going. That's with no, no. Cake and we I'm, don't just, no I'm saying that they're alive. <laughs> Sophia Loren that is, is still alive. <laughs> she doesn't look anything like she did in her youth. Mm-hmm. And Margaret, same thing. But. But just for the opportunity for the history books, because mm. in a hundred years they're not going to know that you had these women when they were at eighty to ninety years old. Right. They're All they're going to know is that in the mm. pantheon of your conquests, right. included it's Sophia Loren mm-hmm. and Margaret. That's Maybe nice to have Priscilla nice Presley. Have. You know, sure. I was actually with Priscilla Presley uh, about a week ago. What? I was in Las Vegas, and I went to see the U two show at the Sphere. Uh, which was in, in spectacular, by the way. If you've not had a chance yet to be at the Sphere, which I'm guessing since it's relatively new, most people out there have not been there yet. If you have an opportunity to go, go. But during the show, there's a lot of references to Elvis. And Bono kept like talking about Elvis with all of this reverence. And I'm like, my God, you know, I didn't really appreciate what an influence Bono must have viewed Elvis as. And then all of a sudden he's like, uh, we have a special guest here with us tonight, you know, who joined us. And it was Priscilla Presley was oh, there. Yeah. So I thought, well, no wonder why he's, you know, laying thick on Elvis's yeah. behind. Not that he doesn't deserve it, mm-hmm. but I think he maybe went a little further because Priscilla was there. And I thought, well, this is odd. You know, it's kind of fun. I mean, I, I didn't talk to her or anything, but sharing space with uh, with Jane from the Naked Gun movies. Was, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it was pretty special. Plus, she, it was once it married to Elvis. 
So there's oh, that sure. too. When she was about 15 years uh, old. Yeah, she was just, listen, she was we. She was a young child. She but, was we. But, but she was married. But that's my point. So let, let, let can we get some feedback from around the room? Would you guys at this yes. point in time, yes. any, with any I of mean, those people that I've mentioned, just yes. to have it on your on your resume, on your yes. roster? Well, that's where I am. So do Ellen you think that, that young men are throwing themselves at these ladies like all the time? Probably so feel not around? because they wouldn't appreciate who they once were, I know, but me. I mean, I, I'm a lot younger than them, and <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm 52. These, these women are 30 to 40 years older, and yeah. I know for me, it's a it's a hard yes on all of them, yeah. uh, just because to have that on your, you know, on your life's work, I, I just think is too good of an opportunity to pass up. Jackson, uh, our producer, now we don't have headphones on, so you can hear me. He was uh, yelling, "Helen Mirren!" Oh my God, yes, <laughs> Helen, <laughs> oh, yeah. Helen Mirren. Uh, I, I think I'd, I'd, I'd have more than just a, a one night thing. If you, you have an op- a relationship, if you have an opportunity to have a relationship, have you really gotten to know Helen Mirren at all? No. She uh, she used to be on the show, but now, now we have Gabe. Move over, For, one, I will say this: in her youth, she was a, a, a gorgeous woman, phenomenal uh, figure. Mm-hmm. I mean, feminine and, and wonderful, but voluptuous even. Yes, yes, absolutely. But she also has just the most delightful personality and sense of humor. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she's very engaging. No, put Helen Mirren at the top of that pile, friend. No, we don't. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, that one. If Helen, on the, on, and then I know this is a, a very slim chance that Helen Mirren is listening to this podcast. Yeah, you know, no, I, I'm going to guess 50, that this 50. is just a sliver. Yeah, she likes the, um, the bunker raking thing. You know what I think did it too is remember when she was on <laughs> Stephen Colbert and uh, she greeted him with a full mouth kiss because oh, wow, she, wow, wow. and I thought you know what I kind of dig that because you know Colbert is kind of a, a funny intellectual type and I thought well you know if, if she's into Colbert she could be into Ed Herman you like I, I know I have some work to do I'm, I'm, I've got a bridge a little bit of a gap there yeah. um, but it gave us all hope in that moment there was she's hope still, she's still very much in love with her husband Damn it. But you know what? <laughs> but never you know matter what? to you. He, he could die at any minute. Yes, he could. We have that to look no, forward to. She said to. she will no longer do nudity because she goes, my puppies are all, all my husbands now. Nobody else. Oh, She's also seven. Oh, my. You got to love a, a, a woman who, uh, you know, offers herself up as as a, um, a willing um Possession. Uh, Dolly Parton is right around that age, am I not mistaken? Now, me, she's been in a similar relationship. She's been in a long-term relationship. She's been in a long-term. Really? She is, I will say, Dolly Parton is, is one of my, a handful of, I think, just absolute heroes of mine. How about that? Uh, yeah. Dolly Parton, she is, she is an amazing, amazing person. The career that she has had, the amount of disciplines that she has succeeded in, the recognition that she's gotten across the board, and, you know... You're never going to find somebody that has a bad word to say about yeah. Dolly Parton. Yeah. And you know what impressed me about her? And I don't get p- political because uh, yeah, I think everybody is full of, uh, you know, crap. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know, she's good friends with both Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. Everybody knows they made 9 to 5 together. Um, but, uh, you know, Dolly Parton's general following tends to be, you know, country music. And you associate her with the South and Tennessee and that kind of culture. Whereas um, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, you know, you kind of associate them a little bit more with their progressive liberal politics and Jane Fonda's controversy during the Vietnam War and Lily Tomlin being a lesbian. And yet Dolly Parton, she owns that those friendships very proudly. She's gone and done award presentations with them on stage. And she is she's going to like who she likes. She's going to be friends with the people she wants to be friends with. She doesn't fall into that trap of I have to cater to sort of my audience and make sure that I maintain a certain 
type of yeah. vibe. And yeah. it's like, no, yeah. she is her own person. When 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 the word Dixie became really controversial a few years ago because of its association with slavery, everybody made it into this huge deal about people changing names of things. And Dolly Parton, of course, had the Dixie Stampede. You know, she had that out in Branson. Nobody had to ask her or tell her. She just changed the name of it to the Dolly, you know, Stampede. And really made no controversy. She was like, you know, my goal is for people to go and have a good time. I'm not looking for anybody to have their feelings hurt, so I just changed the name. Not a big deal. Didn't make a big deal about mm -hmm. it. Just did it. And just every way that she's done that, even the fact that she sort of at first was wanting to wave off her uh, induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of mm -hmm. Fame because she didn't see herself as a rock and roll artist. But from my perspective... I don't know that she even fully appreciated the uh, the impact that she had in crossing over those musical worlds. But in the late 70s, when she came out with uh, songs like Here You Come Again and then 9 to 5, and then ultimately partnered up with the male equivalent of what she had done, which Kenny Rogers had sort of been the crossover artist with things like The Gambler, which became Islands a... Islands in the Stream. You know, it, I, they did Islands mm -hmm. in the Stream together, which is still, I think, the most successful duet in music history. Certainly the most performed duet in karaoke uh, history. <laughs> yeah. That and then Summer Nights from Greece. Um, but Dolly, you know, and then of course, you know, she wrote what is possibly the, the most successful pop song in history uh, with the Whitney Houston version yeah, of I Will yeah, Love You. So yeah, yeah, right. just if, if those had been the only thing she'd ever done, to me that's enough to, to gain entry into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's, mm -hmm. that's tremendous influence. She's one of those people that has almost universal acceptance. Yes. And, and so, there isn't anybody that doesn't like her. That, that's, that's the thing. Johnny so, Carson was kind of that way. You know, I'm not I, sure anybody but, didn't like Johnny Carson. But you know, they all said the same thing. Yeah, they, they all said the same thing. They all said that behind, when the camera wasn't rolling, Johnny Carson was not a nice man. Really? You know, and a lot of people, yeah. Was well, I right? I followed that era very closely because I'm a huge Dean Martin fan. To me, Dean Martin is the end-all, be-all yeah. of entertainment. Yeah. He had everything. So watching his old variety show and his old, the old roasts, if you have a chance to watch the old Dean Martin yeah. roasts, mm -hmm. some of them you can watch for free on Amazon. Go back and watch them. Just recognize the era that they took place in because the language, you couldn't get away with any of that today. No. But everybody was in on it. Everybody was just having a good time. And uh, But Johnny Carson was on several of those mm -hmm. and uh, in a lot of the interviews because I've watched documentaries about that years later. And they say, you know, he's just... He wasn't. A, he was. He was. A, wasn't a pleasant guy. You know. He seemed to carry a lot of anger with him all the time. There's yeah. a book out. Uh, his longtime lawyer Henry Bushkin wrote it. I think I actually read that book. Yeah. yeah. And what he, did, he, did he talks it, about some yeah. of the, the things that people didn't like Johnny and how he could be a curmudgeon sometime at parties and sit by himself and want to talk to people and. I, I, I recall, you know, and he, he was married what many several times, many oh. times, and that how that drama both legally and then also emotionally would carry over to the show the business of the show well you have to you have to imagine it sure. would you yeah. know uh, that's got to be tough there was there's a great there was a great joke i won't do it justice where bob newhart was was roasting johnny carson talking about his wives because the first wife was named joan and the second one was named Joanne, and the third one was named Joanna. And he was like, "This <laughs> guy, right? this guy, just won't go for new towels." <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, he kept losing his money over and over and over again. So yeah. it was no wonder. Mm. You know, and people have it in their head too that uh, 
that he stayed around a really long time, but he was still pretty young when he retired. Yeah, well, he, well, no. was it like 91, 92? He was born in, in 25. Yeah, so. I think he, he left the show. He was maybe 62 years old. He, was, he wasn't that old yeah. when the show was done. And uh, we treat it like 30 years, like, oh, my God, 30 years was so long. But, you know, Letterman went more than 30 years. And why don't you look up and see how many years Jimmy Kimmel's been hosting his show? Because you'll be shocked to be like, Jimmy Kimmel's not, not, it's way more than 20. Is that right? Take a look. See see when the Jimmy Kimmel's, let's look online and get an answer to this. Johnny Carson uh, married four times for the the record. I heard Johnny Carson say once that he was really bad at one-on-one conversations and parties and the social scene. He just he said he just couldn't handle that. You know, he just couldn't talk one-on-one with strangers and people he didn't know very well. Do you think it was because he did that for a living and, and made a living having one-on-one conversations and just felt like, you know, know, when you're not doing your job, you don't want to do more of your job? There are people... 21, that... uh, 21 years for uh, January 2003 for Kimball. I okay, 21 years. I mean... Doesn't that seem like I would a have, blink I would of an have, eye? I would, have, I would have thought like if I like fifteen, maybe if I was at, really, at most. Yeah. I don't know. It just feels mm-hmm. to me like uh, I, I don't know. I, I still feel like Jimmy Fallon just took over the Tonight Show and How Stephen Colbert. Look it up. I'm telling you, these guys are racking up the yeah. years fast. The older we get, the faster time goes. It really me. does. You think someone's been there four or five years? It turns out it's been fifteen. I think Jimmy Fallon's been there for ten years. I, I think it's more. Uh, gonna... 10 years, 2014. Mm-hmm. All right, know. so you're right. You're right. He's right on the button, right yeah. on the pen. These guys, guys, it adds up fast yeah, is the point. There are some of those guys who you would never know it, but in real life, they're quite shy. Uh, even, though, even though they're performers and seem to like the spotlight and can pull it off, once the, once the light goes off and the lights are turned off, they're really just kind of shy Meek people, not all of them, but there yeah. are some out there. I, I feel like I fall into that category, but I'm but I'm shy even on the air. No, I know I, no, I'm de- no. I think that there is something to be said for a stepping into character. You know, the lights are on or you're mm-hmm. on stage. I think people are drawn to that because it, it, like they slip into that and it gives them that little bit of confidence to to be in persona. Mm-hmm. And then when they're not in that, they just they're like turtles. They so just I go I, back into I, I our shells. I was just uh, out of town with my wife and some friends a couple weeks ago, and it was late at night. One of the uh, lasses who was with us, uh, I guess, was freed up by the booze. It's two in the morning. She goes, "What's the deal with you?" She goes, "You're so uh, you got this show that's you know whatever got a following and all that, but then you're, you're kind of quieter when you're." I go, "I couldn't agree with you more." And I said, "I don't know what the reason for it is. I just know that's who I am." But then if you don't know me away from the show, then you'd be like, "Oh, he may think that because of the show that's it," but it's not. It's just kind of how I am. And so I think sometimes p- people mistake being an introvert with being arrogant if your job is an extroverted job. Right. And so in that sense, I feel weirdly. And I told the story. I don't know if you ever saw Letterman's. Netflix show where he would do sure. sit-down interviews with people. Mm-hmm. So he my, had, and my next guest. Yes, yeah. that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So he had Howard Stern on maybe two or three years ago, and either one of them, I probably Stern, said to Letterman, isn't it weird how our shows allow us to function like normal human beings because when we're away from our shows, we're a mess? Yeah. And, I, and I heard that, and I go, oh, my God, that's me. I, I, I feel the same way. I think that oh, that's... Oh, really? Is that I right? I, I, feel like that, I feel like that's a very common thing. I, I feel like sometimes you need... Again, it's like Superman needs the cape to be Superman, you know? Otherwise, he's just Clark Kent. And I feel like that's how it is when you have a show. It's a forum. It's your it's your costume. It's You come in here, you know exactly what you're going to do. You well, slept in your Superman. That, then you're Clark Kent. The, the key to it, I think, if I'm trying to like... Because de- I don't want to just say... Because I'm really not real, real introverted. 
But I think on the show, if I am like in, involved in the show anyway, that we're going to be talking about things that engage me. Whereas if it's if it's at a spot where I'm not, I mean, it's, I mean who's, who am I to come in and go, okay, hey, we're going to talk about this now. If we're, I'm, I'm sitting like at a bar, or, you know, at a dinner party or something like that, then I might just kind of back out and go, okay, you guys talk about it because I really don't give a damn about the weather or Christmas shopping or, you know, the kids. I just don't really often care, you know? Yeah, and no. I'm not going to force talking about my kids on you either because I know how and, and my all, standpoint is so appreciate that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah, because I know most people are just like, oh, God, no, you know? Yeah, well, that's why I can't be in a group of, like, more than four or five people. Like, I can do a, a, a dinner out with a group of friends, four or five, I only like it if everybody can participate in the same conversation. As soon as the group gets large enough to where you know there's going to be two separate conversations going at once, I, I, say, I take that as an opportunity to slip out completely. I figure the people over here think that I'm participating in this conversation. Mm. They think I'm participating in that conversation. <laughs> All I'm doing is eating. <laughs> you know, that's Isn't it hard when you go to a party or something and you see somebody you haven't seen in a while and you get done with the pleasantries of how you doing, what's up to, how are the kids and everything. And then two minutes later, you don't have much to talk to, and you'd like to go and meet some other people, but you can't really get away from this person without feeling rude. Right, and you how know what, that? and, and that's, of course, inside your, your head you're thinking, well, this explains why I haven't kept in touch with them. <laughs> yeah. Literally, in, in the course of two minutes, we've caught up everything that we even have a mild interest in. Uh, you know, it helps if you're a, a drinker. Uh, I'm not, you know, that, so I don't have that quick out to say, I'm going to grab a drink and I get you something. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, that tends to be a common way out of those uh, things. Uh, for me, I, I will kind of do one of these impulsive, did you happen to notice where the bathroom was? <laughs> oh, you know, just sort bad. of one of those. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, but you do it like you put a little urgency in your face, mm-hmm. like, like out of courtesy to them, you've been holding it in. So you've already kind of bent over just to have the two-minute exchange you've had. Right. Um, so you do a little look on your face, and it's like, you have any idea where the bathroom is? You haven't noticed the bathroom? And, yeah. and, and, and then, they, then they try to be helpful. They, they look around like, I think it's probably back there. Yeah, I've I got to see if there's a line. Yeah. It was great seeing you. It was so good catching up. <laughs> well, I've, I've been that other guy on multiple occasions where the other person will just stop talking, turn and walk away. <laughs> like, what am I, jump liver? That's it. You should become an expert on where the bathroom yeah. is. This way, when they feed you that line, you can yeah. be actually helpful and be like, it's right there, and I'm going to go ahead and watch you head over. And I want to just make sure you make it. Successfully, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm not good at that. I don't really, I don't enjoy small talk. Uh, you know, that's even on here. It's hard. Like, I like to get into deep stuff right away. I know, but that, I think that's why I'm energized by when you come in here, and I think the audience loves it because it's not. We're not going to like, you know, I, I'm, perform hand play. I'm fascinated by people's stories. Uh, what makes them tick? What what made them who they are? Common question I'll ask people in conversation if I'm just meeting them is, "What's your origin story?" And, and, you know, because a lot of times people will say, well, what do you do for a living? Or what do you do? And they mean your occupation. What a boring question usually <laughs> that is. You know, say, what's your origin story? And what I'm really looking for is... Yeah, what is, are you looking for? Then? What I'm looking for is, is that everybody has something in their past that they feel was sort of the defining experience that set them on their course. And an origin story, we, we look at that in comic books and superhero type stuff. And it's always like whatever that... That thing was the breakthrough, the trauma, the experience that set them on their course. You know, and from that point on, the the ship was pointed in a certain direction, and then you sailed that way. I'm always I'm always fascinated by what that moment was, if there was such a moment or experience. What was that yours? A I want to know. Has. 
you know, is, I, and, and that would be pursuing law. You know, I think you know it's it's not like you ever just have one thing. I mean, for me, I like the the question will always be like, what fire was your character forged in? For me, it was the phenomenon of being an overweight child. Like to me, mm. that's my origin wow. story. That's where a lot of my motivations come from, and also having sort of not having any money. So you know, that became like the thing that became the essence of my driver. You know, is like, okay, how am I going to work my way through this world as a person? I don't have any money, and and I'm I'm a heavy kid. So you don't think of it like that as a kid, but 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 your brain on some level is trying to figure out. How are you going to yeah, survive yeah. this world if these are the two sort of burdens that you you know that you feel are maybe holding you back from from being everything that you could be, and so that becomes the motivators. I knew I was going to have to uh, develop my wiles, my charms, work a little differently, and and I was going to have to you know uh, get into a career that that I enjoyed. So. You know, for me, those are like that's where my character was forged. You know, like what where what were you what forged you? Like what happened in your life that set your course? I love sports. I got cut from the freshman football team, the freshman basketball team, and the freshman baseball team, all while thinking I was going to play for the Cardinals. And then it became clear that wasn't real likely. And I recall watching Lou Holtz doing a press conference. My family's a big Notre Dame. My mom went to school at uh, the the female version in the 1960s, St. Mary's across the street because it wasn't co-ed. Mm -hmm. And my dad's one of those Irish Catholic subway alums that most people hate. Uh, and so Lou Holtz was on, and he goes, the key to happiness in life is finding something you love and finding someone dumb enough to pay you to do it. And I thought, well, if I'm not going to be able to play for the Cardinals, then I want to find a way to still be around the Cardinals. Yes, yes. And so at that point, I go, well, then I'm going to go into broadcasting because I want to call Cardinal games. So I went to the Missouri Journalism School thinking that was for play-by-play -play, when it sent me on a course to do what Doug and I were lucky enough to do, which is mm. local television news. That's where all the money is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that is... that. That moment, though, of seeing that that interview with Lou Holtz, it was a press yeah. conference, actually, such a random thing to say in a press conference, is still frozen in my mind, and I'll still tell people in their teens or 20s who uh, you know ask about this career, find something you love to do so that you're not sitting up on a Sunday night dreading the next five days. Yeah, and That's I think invaluable. I think the the, the 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 lesson in that too is. You know, if you can't do the thing, do something close to the thing because you enjoy that world. And and a lot of people may not think that way. A lot of people might have thought, well, geez, being that close and not being the one on the field getting to play might be something that would leave you longing. But your experience has been just the opposite. Well, yeah. Being near it, being close to it, living off of that excitement in that that energy is where you want to be. I think a lot of people who are in the world of show business, it's like the old joke about the the guy who shovels up the poop behind the elephant you know at the circus and he complains about the job and somebody says well just quit and he's like and give up show business <laughs> you know because if when you love when you love something you just want to be near it you know what about you doug where, where, where very, was your character very forged to, very close to tim's story Although I had a... It was Lou Holtz. Doug, Doug no. though, legitimately played baseball and hit a home run off Tom Seaver. Which, you know. by the way, one of one of your listeners uh, was nice enough to DM me the video for that. Oh, you saw And that. I loved it. Oh, did you? That was such a magical thing to watch. Well, I'll take I, a picture with you later. I can't even <laughs> imagine how good that must have felt. It was but a fun moment. But, but, but tell us about your... your my my story is very fire. similar to Tim's. I had a leave-it-to-beaver type upbringing with... Great parents and a drama and trauma-free childhood, 
everything just kind of went perfectly, really. Always got to kind of do whatever I wanted to do and wanted to be in, involved in sports. And so when I saw when my Cardinal dream ended, I saw this as a way to stay involved in sports. And it's worked out. Here I am, 40-some-odd years later. How about that? After, and, and with no college. regrets. I mean, you don't have any uh, real no, regrets. at times I have financial regrets, knowing you that know. if I had worked half as hard in any other business as I did in journalism, <laughs> I would have twice as much money. Yeah. I'd have been the executive vice president somewhere and had a country club membership problem. <laughs> and and, and I'd work 60 hours a week doing anything else. Yes, but you know what? I, yeah, I, I hear all of that, but I didn't hear anything in that that indicates to me that you would have been happier. Maybe not. I, you know, I, I, don't I, I don't know. There's nothing yeah. in what you just described that that uh, that could be equated with happiness. Yeah. I know plenty of people that belong to clubs. They're not happy. Right. I know plenty of people that have made twice that you've made. They don't seem. They're certainly not twice as happy. I don't know that they may be half as happy. Uh, no, I, I think you did it all right. What about you guys? What about you? I want to hear from Iggy's first because <laughs> no. I feel like you have to have something in there. No, that... good I have no aspirations then. No aspirations now. <laughs> but, but you know what, though? That, that is funny, but that's not a bad thing. It's it, that To have that level of self-awareness and then build an existence around that, isn't that sort of the goal? Yeah. Yeah, I really uh, didn't grow up saying, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. I mean, in high school, I wanted to be a Casey jock. That was what I wanted to do. But, but I, didn't, I didn't pursue it, so... Was that your passion? Was it the musical side of it? Was yeah. It, and what made, what's your origin story, though? When you look at your personality and say, where did I get my personality from? Was there any particular thing that you feel like set that where it was? The influence of a parent, yeah. of a friend, bullying, an experience? All my f- family was normal. <laughs> Just, are you including yourself? No, I was... I was <laughs> Nobody in my family acts like me. Really? Where did you get it from? I don't know. Isn't that something? Some 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 night in some place. What about you? I'm over unique. There? You I'm can't unique. hide this. Oh, uh, I mean, this is exactly what I wanted to do since I was nine. So I got lucky. Um, so I would drive around with my dad to like Bradley Brave games and Peoria Riverman games. So it'd be about a forty-five minute to an hour drive. He'd pick me up, um, and we'd go and we'd listen to Jim Rome. You know, the entire time, because that was when sports radio was at its peak, like early to mid-90s. On uh, Yeah, that kind of the bonding moment I had with my dad, which is great, you know, because I love my dad beyond that. But yeah, so that, this is what I wanted to do. Shoot, man, since I was like 9 or 10. And I got my personality from my uncles for sure. My mom's side of my family, uh, her brothers are cool as hell, very much exactly like me in every possible way. Do you think that that was like, by DNA, you're like them, or do, were they an influence on you that you spent no, a lot of time were, around them? They were great enough to like. They were scattered around all across the country in Albuquerque and in Chicago. We would have family get-togethers twice, three times a year um, when I was a kid. Not so much now, obviously, since we are grown adults. But so, like, I, I got to spend a lot of time with them, and you know, they were they're kind of they don't have kids. They were kind of BSing, you know, drinking beer and. You know, smoking one hitters, you know, kind of how dads did in the 90s. Like, mm-hmm. you'd smoke around your kid, and yeah. it was fantastic. Kind of like feel like you were an adult instead of acting like being treated like always yeah, like a yeah. child. I know what so you're like, saying. I know what you're saying there, man. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. I have great memories in that capacity, too. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. I came from a, my, I mean, my family was uh, very straight laced as far as yeah. they didn't, they, there were no smokers uh, in my immediate family. Although I think I had grandparents that smoked, but everybody back then, yeah. mm-hmm. my parents didn't smoke, parents didn't drink. It was n- none of that growing up around. So I, I grew up pretty boring like that. But, uh, but when you go to the, you know, I found out yesterday. Now this is crazy. 
Hey, look everybody, it's Kelly. Oh, hey. God. Ours is the type of show where friends feel they can drop in at any time. No, you know what? He's probably mad at me because he's waiting on there probably to come on and I'm, I'm, I'm sucking up the mic. I, I find out yesterday, and for the first time ever, I'm 52 years old, that my grandfather, who I never got to meet, I was named for him. He died a year before I was born. He was born with only one kidney. Wouldn't you think in 52 years of life somebody would have told me this? Mm -hmm. I oh, had it out with my mother yesterday. There's Kelly Chase. He's back in there. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming in. And we still suck. <laughs> well, you know, Kelly of... Chase meet at Herman Brown and Crippen with the great Kelly Chase. Good to meet you. What's going on? Uh, Look at this. Doug Ars really is the type of program. Friends. What do you think of this closet, Chaser? It's good. This is, you've been in worse. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone's been worse than this. Everyone's I have been. been. Uh, Kelly Chase was scheduled for 9 o'clock, so that was bad hosting on my part. Right? Well, what time is it? It's 9 o'clock. Very prop. Very prop. Doug came out of the closet a long time ago. No! What in the world's that mean? <laughs> We're doing a show in a closet, I think. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Get to that. <laughs> Uh, Ed, always great to talk it over yeah, with no, you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn the mic over to Kelly. Yeah, Chase. the Blues Enforcer is uh, is in studio. Yeah, yeah. Always wonderful to yeah, talk no, it over absolutely. there. Absolutely, guys, have a great day. Thank you, Thanks, Ed. Ed Herman, Kelly you. Chase, just tagging in, tagging out. How about that, Doug? That's how we work. This is a real variety program. Yes, show. Yeah, this is a real variety program. And. Just take a break. Look, guys, are doing a chat. Yeah, I mean, oh, I, I selfie. Yeah, Plowlock, I do have one Wonderful. more break. I got to hit right. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, we do. I, mean, I feel like if I did that with Chase, he might throw me through the wall. Well, he doesn't want to wait in the kitchen. It's so. <laughs> I was, I was waiting with, for the phone call or the text going, "Hey, a hole, I'm outside." And, oh, yeah, yeah. But, you, but I figured my way in. How you been? Yeah, <laughs> look at you. So what's going on? I mean, uh, I, 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 well, I can't nothing. wait to talk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't. I can't wait to talk it over here. Uh, I, first off, because I'm, I'll probably go deep into the weeds, let's talk about what you were texting me. I saw uh, JR text about it or tweet about it yesterday. What's coming up? And it's pretty cool thing. And I know a lot of our listeners will love this. So go ahead. Yeah, we're gonna do a game. Uh, we're gonna do a hockey game, another charity game, and people go, "Oh, these charity games these guys do these old." Older guys that are messing around. It's funny because there's about five goalies that are playing forward. It seems like, <laughs> <laughs> like that'll be comedy on its on its own, you know. But uh, uh, Mike Richter and Eddie Belfour and guys like that that are um, that are that've been around the league a long time. You know, they want to play forward. Cujo wants to play forward. Brian Elliott called me last night. He's like, I'll play goal forward. I just want to be there. So uh, we're going to have a game, a charity game. Uh, it'll be run in conjunction with the Jimmy V Foundation and Siteman's uh, for, for blood research. And um, Tony's going to be one of the poster child guys with me and Troy Murray and uh, Brian Boyles uh, in remission. Uh, we've actually got a guy here in St. Louis that's... Uh, it's been suffering for for a while by himself, not saying anything. So hopefully, at some point, we can get him to, because it's a it's a tough enough thing to do by yourself sure. and, and and another one of our players and and so um, we're gonna be the Make a Wish kids, and then uh, we'll uh, but we've got a great grouping of guys. Like last night, I got uh, I was talking to Coach Payton, Sean Payton, and he uh, he's gonna coach one of the teams, and he goes, I bought eight blocks of ice time. I'm going to see how it goes, and then maybe I'll play. I go, you think if you skate eight times, you're going to be ready to play? And, then, and he goes, 
Dude, I've skated before, and I go, I know you have, but I go, and listen, if you want to play, you can play. But you got Cuba Goody, or uh, well, Cuba canceled yesterday, but uh, uh, Dirk, Dirk Bentley's playing in the That's game. Awesome. Um, D.B. Sweeney, Dave Coulier, a couple of our buddies, you know, that are just just uh, form, you know, actors. And right. Can you get some big athletes. names to take part uh, in this? <laughs> well, I, I called Garth. I went Garth, Garth oh, Brooks, smart. and I'm talking to him on the phone, and I'm saying, hey, dude, uh, and I go through this whole thing about this game, and at the end I said, you know, surely there's something we can come up with where we could use as a fundraiser. And he goes, shit. Oh, watch your language. Oh. oh is this one of these ones oh, we you're can't good. Swear? No. You're good. Oh, my uh, God. It's not my first run in. And he goes, and he goes, oh. and he goes, I was sure you were going to ask me to play, and I was dying, and I did not want to play in a hockey game. And, I, and then I sent a note back saying, you know, he goes, you don't know how bad I want to play in that. I said, you don't know how bad I want to watch you play in that. <laughs> but I said, you might have to coach against Peyton and, and Gretzky. Uh, I'm going to give Elway a call today, so he's getting a heads up. But um, just a group of guys that we've become friends with that are going to participate. And then, of course, you got Chelios and Hully and all the great players that are going to come in. And we've tried to – I've told our own alumni, I've said, guys, don't be offended when I tell you you're not in the game. Because we're going to put some young guys in the game, you know, like the Jay McClement we talked to yesterday, and he's probably going to come back. And Elliot just retired last year, and he's going to go and goal. And so there's going to be the puck will actually move a little bit, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and, along with the legs. So, um, and, and general mission tickets are going to go on sale, I think, tomorrow. Okay. And and then there's there's five hundred dollar uh, VIP tickets that, that these guys are all going to be at the VIP. Lounge and, and and again it goes to Siteman's research, and I wanted to make sure I was clear on where I wanted it to go. I wanted to make sure it went to the research part of it and not just. No offense to what they do, because I've I've never seen anything so special as what I've dealt with with a group of people. But you know, I'm not into building the new garage. I'm more into <laughs> like let's find a you know let's let's help a kid. Let's research. Let's, so I want to make sure I get this because I know our audience is interested. I can already see it in the YouTube chat yeah. and the text that we're getting. Uh, where can they get tickets? When yeah. will this be and, and where will it be? Ticketmaster, uh, April 5th, and it'll be at Centene in the college rink there where Linwood plays. Um, nice. The, the VIP room will go on all night. We've got entertainment in there. Uh, we've got entertainment outside of there. We've got uh, – it'll, it'll be fun. We're going to make sure it's fun. It's just more of a – you know – I talked to uh, Tony Granato most every every second day. You know, he's going through leukemia as well. And one of the comments he made to me was, he said, I just loved helping kids and coaching kids. And the doctor stopped by and said, you know, you're doing really well. And I was thinking about it today. And he just said, just think about how many more lives you can touch now. Not just hockey, but how many more lives you can touch now just because, you know, you're doing the right thing with this and you can – you can go out and, and help people and and um, and I the same conversation with one of our friends that that is suffering here or that's a teammate was a teammate of mine I'm like dude this is a hard enough deal to come through by yourself let alone I mean I mean with people never mind by yourself and on top of it all we need to use the platform to help people because if it happens to be your son or daughter or grandchild or whatever that gets it maybe what you do here. And this event changes their life. Because 10 years ago, I don't, like, I'm on a trial drug right now, and, you know, they have it in remission after three rounds, which 
really doesn't mean too much other than, you know, you hope it sticks. And I got two rounds left, and and I'll go in on the fourth of March and then the seventh of April. And this has kicked the shit out of me. This this oh. this last two, oh, he good. Uh, these last two rounds, um, or this la- this round especially, your bones expand like you're having growing pains and and they ache at night and it, and it's you know but again i know that no matter what they're putting in you it's doing the job and um you know we'll, we'll come out of it on the other end so i know a lot of people you have, have been public with this here um want to know how you're doing which is such a, a vapid question but in this particular case it's specific i mean what what is the situation yeah. as you said you had two more rounds it's funny you know i don't i don't really know prognosis wise i know that I, he gave me great news a couple of weeks ago my doctor's unbelievable uh, ramsey abood uh he he gave me great news was, i want to say it was a millionth of a milligram i tested to that's how in-depth the test was of your tissue and I didn't have any splashes of chemo or leukemia or cancer in me at all. So basically, I was cancer-free after the third round. Um, but I, again, I, I'm, I'm not getting ahead of myself. We'll, we'll do five rounds. We'll do another bone biopsy. It'll go in your back, go down through your butt and your hip, and then take some tissue and test you again and continue to test you as, as you get older and make sure it stays in remission, but, you know, it's not going to just disappear. It's just, uh, it's fun. He, it's funny, you know, you asked that question and, and I got asked it a couple times yesterday, but I never asked for a prognosis because he said, you don't want to know anything. You don't want to know, you know, you don't want to know your chances, the odds, whatever. I said, no, no, not, not really. And there's a couple of reasons for it. And this one sounds arrogant, because we're not normal as athletes. We're, we're just not normal like you. So you have all these norms you can go by, right? Well, if I walk down the hallway in that place and I feel so bad for so many people, I don't look at myself like I'm like any of those people. Like I don't look like I'm that sick. I don't feel like I'm that sick. I don't feel – I mean, I got in there with a Peloton and rode 24 days in a row and did 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups. I tried to walk 7 to 10 miles a day. And I did that because, not because I wanted to show everybody, but because I said, I think this is going to make me better, healthier, faster, okay? Should I worked out more in the hospital than I did as a player, you know? <laughs> and, and I, you know, I ended up snapping the tendon on my kneecap because your tendons get... But, so we're not the norm. So if you're going to give me some number that says these are the norms, well, you know, it's like telling me like Lance Armstrong's a norm yeah. not the norm right. it's not the norm right, right? Yeah, I follow you um, and, then, and your, your pain threshold when they ask you what well, what's the pain feel like like give me a scale to 1 to 10 well, why don't you tell me what 10 feels like right right. I right. think I know what ten, my 10 feels like but my 10 feels like <laughs> you know way different than your 10 that's that's just the truth yeah. so if they tell me that I need some Dilaudid I just tell them yeah it's an 8 I don't know what the hell that means. You know, I, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Because I can tell you there was pain in there that I've never felt before. But your one, one thing your body never does is it, it doesn't have a memory of that, of those receptors, of pain receptors. So you never know what the limit is on that, okay? 
And this, and then the second reason is, as I just said to him, I said, look, there's winners and losers here, right? Like there's two teams. And he said, yeah. I said, well, just get me on the right team. Get me on the winning team. And you get me on the winning team and, uh, you know, I'll do the work. You end up on the winning team and we don't need to worry about what the prognosis is. And, and so he asked my wife the same thing. Do you want to know the numbers? And she said, no, you know, I don't need to know the numbers. So it probably sounds arrogant and, you know, but it's just, I think a mindset that I have to have in order for me to, uh, to get through it and to be successful and to make sure that, um, I have a comfort zone with my kids so that they believe it. When did all of this start? I recall when we were doing some stuff with, with inside STL that you, you, you got a lesion on your brain. Yeah. Is, is any of the, is, are these two unrelated things or are they? Yeah. It's funny. You know, I'm not really sure. Uh, the brain lesion thing we were able to manage. I had, you know, some prostate cancer that I took care of outside of, of, of St. Louis. And this one was a little tough. I was growing my hair out. I had it below my shoulders. I was growing my hair out and I was going to have my head shaved for the cancer, men's can- health cancer foundation. Two weeks later, <laughs> I went in and, uh, had a, uh, an implant that had got infected and I couldn't get rid of the infection. I had an implant on my knee and my ankle. Went to this remarkable doctor, Trish Herford. Um, you know, she works with everybody, everything but infectious disease. Most impressively, um, not afraid to get into the Eastern European side of it, whether it be with CBD and THC and stuff like that. I spoke with her at the Capitol um, with Turley, Kyle Turley, mm, yeah. who's now walking, by the way, and wasn't. And uh, just she's impressive, and she's impressive in so many ways. Um, and she just said, I want to just do blood work on you. A friend of mine, um, Gina Gamblin, had sent me to her. And uh, it was on Friday. On Monday, I was getting surgery. And Monday, she's texting me in the morning, don't get in that chair. And I'm saying, why not call me? And she said, well, I'm on a flight from Houston or Austin. And uh, I said, don't get in that chair. Well, then her nurse called and of course now we have an oral surgeon and a nurse having a conversation you know who's going to win that battle right <laughs> so the doc's doing surgery so he does surgery it takes part of my a clip of my root of my tooth off my jawbone packs cadaver bone up in there so sews it all up and i'm in the lobby and my phone's blowing up and she just basically screaming at me, like, what were you thinking? Are you bleeding a lot? And I'm like, no. And she goes, I go, I wanted to actually make a comment going, have you seen me fight? I don't bleed. <laughs> and then I just said, uh, no. And she said, I want you to go over to Siteman's emergency right now. And I said, what the hell am I going over there for? And she said, get over to Siteman's now. And an hour and a half later, I was sitting in a room with three doctors, um, and my doctor just looked at me and he said, you think you got gout? And I said, no. And he said, because they've been treating you for gout. I said, I know. Doesn't work. He says, well, the chemo will get rid of the swelling in your body. And I said, the chemo? He said, Kelly, you know, what you have is aggressive acute leukemia. 
And he said, I'm going to be honest with you. I have no idea who you are. And I have no idea about hockey. But these two gentlemen over here, they seem to think you're the toughest guy that walked the soil of St. Louis. And I have 20-some people on the other side of this wall that are concerned for you. So I got to make you better. And that's my job. So we're going to make a plan. I'm going to get you better, all right? And I said, all right. And he said, are you good with that? I said, I'm good with that. He said, you want to make any phone calls? And I said, no. He said, I see you're married. you want to call your wife? I said, no, she's not in town. I'll catch up and, you know, do whatever. So he sat down and he explained what was going on with my body and about how I was making this extra chromosome that was just flipping on me constantly and tried to do the best he could to explain what was happening. Thought I'd be a great recipient of a new drug that was out there and a trial drug. And said, okay, a week from, this was on Monday, he said, tomorrow I'm going to give you a bone biopsy. Um, and I'm gonna, a week from Thursday, we'll put you in the hospital to start chemo. I got an infection on Wednesday at 104 temperature. I went in the hospital a week early, a week and a day, eight days early, and I was in there for a long time. And it's the first time in my life where I probably, I didn't, and you know, I, I, in my own head, I've always thought I don't need any help with anything. Like I didn't, I've, I've always thought that. I needed help, and uh, it was tough to keep a straight face with, you know, your family because you're trying to, I have this saying when I, uh, you know, when I speak in places that you want to be a leader, read the paper. And what I mean by that is when you look up front on the plane and you're playing cards and you see the captain up there and we hit turbulence and he keeps reading the paper, you go back to the card game. He starts reaching for masks and seatbelts. Well, a little different, right? Mm -hmm. But just read the paper. So I tell people that any time I speak at stuff and leadership stuff, I say, just read the paper. Because if you act like you're just reading the paper, people behind you watching you are going to act the same. It was tough to read the paper because I was so sick that I didn't know, I didn't know how to get better. And uh, the people at Siteman's took care of me. So... It gave me a completely different perspective on so many things, and, and I'm grateful that I got, well, I'm grateful for Trish, but I'm also grateful I was, that I was able to get in there and that I have that group of people and that doctor. How do you feel now compared to this low point that you were talking about then? I mean, is it, is it worlds different, or is it... Is... <laughs> well, it's, I mean, you mean health body-wise? Yeah. Well, I'm weak as hell, and I'm, and I'm you know, and I ache a little bit, but... You know, I also got, you know, that poison in me still, and it's going to take six months or so to get it out of me. By the time I have the last last round of chemo, I'm sure, um, don't have a lot of strength. But, again, I feel I feel fine. Like, I feel good. I, you know, I, I think I've, you know, from a... I'm trying to be positive, so I think my health from, a, I don't know, just, just from a general you know, public perception, I hope that I look like and sound like I'm doing fine because I, I'm trying to. I mean, you have your moments, but, I mean, I I feel pretty good. I feel pretty lucky that, I, that I'm, you know, sitting where I'm sitting. And I, look, man, when you do, when you got to do 10 miles in a day on one floor in a hospital, you see the same people every day and you see a lot of sick people. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that I feel terrible for and, and I'm um, way more fortunate then, so I think you got to put a lot of that in perspective. Sure. 
And so this event coming up on April 5th is about paying that back and also making yeah look people aware. Well, it's the awareness. Like, I, you know, I was always, uh, you know, three inches deep and a mile wide. You know, every charity I could help. Yes. Hey, let me, yeah, yep. okay, you know, yep. here, and then yep. run to the next one here. Yep. And never really, you know, was was a mile deep. And um, this is just different. You have a, you, you, you look at, you know, you have your own kids. Um, you look at a lot of things differently because maybe you help one of them. Maybe whatever that research is, you know, it 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 does something to to spark somebody else because because look mine's working and so the people that are getting back to my people they're getting back to them right away because they're pumped they want this to work they want this drug to work they want this chemo to eat this bad chromosome in my body you know and sure that it's going to take up your white blood cells and your neutrophils and your you know you're, you're going to have that you're going to have those moments where you're going to have to. You know, you're going to be, your blood count's going to be zero. So you're completely at risk of all immunities, right? And, and that happens and it takes, in some cases, it took me, you know, 10 days to get it back to where they weren't worried about it, right? But, um, but then when, you sh- when it shows what it's done to the, to the bad cells in your body, it's a big win, you know? And so... Hey, I've had, you have your moments, so I'll tell you. I was telling the guys yesterday about, I had a, I had a moment where I just completely melted down and I was in the shower and I was hyperventilating and I was on my knees and I was in tears. And, <laughs> and uh, of course, I got myself together and got dried off and did what every, you know, one of us in that situation would do that's completely sane. I called Twister, and I said, dude, come and get me. I'm losing my mind. Come and get me. You got to get me the hell out of here. I can't take this. And I should have been out two days earlier because I'd had my numbers. I had rode the bike, and my doc and I had bet a dollar on all these things I wasn't going to do, and I hit these numbers. And you've seen this scene in the town where Ben Affleck says, Hey, I'm going to ask you to do something tonight for me. We can never talk about it again, and we're going to hurt some people. And Remy's on the couch, and he looks up and sits up and goes, whose car are we taking? <laughs> well, that's Twister, okay? Now, you, you, you can tell me that you're, you know 3 a.m. guys. You might know guys that are up at 3 a.m., but you don't know guys that are coming to get you at 3 a.m., okay? <laughs> And if you tell me you got two of those guys, you're full of shit. Because there's just no—those guys do not exist. Um, and so I, I got the call—I call him, and he's like, what's the matter? I said, you got to get me out of here. I'm losing my mind, and I, I can't take it. I, I, I'm, and, he, and all he asked me was, are you hooked up to anything? And I said, no. He said, I'll be there in 25 minutes. It was 11 o'clock at night. And <laughs> I sat on my bed. I, I was dressed. I got dressed. And I thought, it's a bad idea. You know, <laughs> this is... <laughs> I got leukemia. I'm leaving the hospital with twist. <laughs> Who knows where we're going? And so I called him back. I said, hey, maybe what we should do here is uh, come tomorrow morning. 
because after 8.30 and the doctors see me, you know, they're going to be a shift change at 4 or whatever. And then, you know, by then I'll get out of here. <laughs> no one will know. And he goes, what do you need? I said, I need two hockey bags for all the stuff that's here. They brought Christmas lights and everything because my wife was sure I was spending Christmas in there. and My family decorated it. I go, I got this tree. I got to fold up and I got baskets from people who are so generous. And I say, all this stuff. So I said, just bring two hockey bags and bring something for this Peloton. We can haul a truck, something. He goes, all right, I don't know how we're going to get that out of here with anybody seeing me. But anyways, he shows up in the morning incognito. I'll just leave it at that. Shows up and he's he throws me two hockey bags and we start packing these bags up and he's gone with the hockey bags. Okay, and he says, here's this card, you know, this takes you down the employee elevator. And if you get down there, you go by the coffee shop and up the escalator and you see that truck down there with the pylons around it and the flashing lights. That's one of my service trucks from St. Louis Glass Incorporated, you know, St. Louis Windshield Repair. That's his company, mm -hmm. St. Louis Windshield Repair. He goes, in, and he goes, uh, go get in the truck. Just take and go get in the truck. I said, I haven't seen a doctor yet. He'd say, Jesus, well, I'm getting this out of here. So he comes back and he goes, find a sheet for that, for that <laughs> bike. Come back and sure enough, the doctors come back. Well, Twister's in the room now and the doc comes in. He goes, hey, I go, wow, well, look who come rolling back in when the work's done. I go, you've been gone for two days. He goes, I was at a seminar. I said, well, I should have been out of here two days ago and you can't keep your word. And I'm giving it to him. He's giving it back to me. He goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dispatch you today. I'm going to dispatch you today. And he decides at that point, you know, he's going to, and he turns, he sees Twister and he goes, oh, you know, Twister looked big, intimidated and standing there. And he goes, how you doing? Twister goes, fine. He goes, you a hockey player too? Twister goes, nope. <laughs> so the guy goes, well, what's your name? He goes, Tony. He goes, well, Tony, you okay with me discharging him today? He goes, oh, I knew he was leaving today. He goes, I didn't know how the hell we were getting that bike out of here, but I knew he was leaving. <laughs> and so we, he looks around and he goes, where's your stuff? I go, what stuff? He goes, all your stuff. I said, he took it. What do you mean he took it? And then dawns on him, I'm leaving. And he just, he just flips out. And he's like, what the hell is the matter with you hockey players, huh? What's the matter with you? You don't have a flu. You have leukemia. Like, what, what's the matter with you? He's going on and on. Well, I get back into bed because now my wife can pick me up. You know, I'm getting discharged. Twister takes the bike, gone. My, you know, he takes it back over to my house. On the 27th of January, I go back in for a bone marrow biopsy. And he wants to put me back in. He goes, you're... Your count's good enough for you to start your second round. I wasn't supposed to start till February, so this is December. There's one you want to get in. I go, today, and they start laughing. They say, oh, we knew you were going to say that. And I said, well, when, when can I get in anyways? I get in January 1st, but I'm out of the room getting some tests, and I come back in, and I can tell there's a little bit of a sour mood. So I said, he goes, I'm going to make you an outpatient. And he said, I go, what? And he goes, an outpatient. Also, oh, that sounds great. He says, yeah. He goes, no immune system, no white blood cells, you know, you're not going to have any, any, any count at all, uh, completely immune risk, but I'm going to make you an outpatient. 
And I go, oh, okay. I'm still like, doesn't dawn on me. He goes, I mean, after all, you just bring, get the big guy. He'll just haul you out of there anyway. <laughs> right? And at that point, I realized this guy stole my wife. Right? <laughs> and so I just, I, I just look, I'm staring at him like I'm going to strangle him, right? And uh, we get through. My wife starts in on me. She goes, oh, you're going to leave after seven days after your chemo. Well, you know where you're going to go live. We'll live with twist. That's where you're going. Because I'm not taking you back. And we got to call an ambulance. And you're going to be in some room in a basement with three other people. And because you can't get a room at Saitman's. And she's going on and on. I'm like, all right, I get it. And you know, doctor's in the room too. And I look at him. I go, hey, bud. Like, seriously? And he goes, she needed to hear it. And so did you. And I'm like, mother. Just. <laughs> And then so just before we're about to leave and they got everything calmed down and I've agreed that I'm going to stay in the hospital longer, he turns and he says something like, I said, hey, next time you go to a conference, you gather all your doctors around and tell them the one thing about hockey players, they don't run home and tell their wives everything and see if you can pass that around the next seminar. <laughs> and so he, uh, he, he got a kick out of it. Him and I are buddies and he's a great doctor, but I needed to probably get straightened around a little bit. Yeah. You have those moments, man, yeah. where you're like, I don't know if they call it chemo fog or chemo brain, but you completely do some dumb shit. Yeah, well, understandably. So you've had a lot of people who have been visiting you. I mean, oh, it's, man. I mean it's like a, it's like the A-list of the game, but beyond the game. And I imagine that's been keeping your spirits as high as possible considering the circumstances. One of the coolest things that's happened is Lance Armstrong reached out to me. Now, you can say whatever you want about him, okay? You don't like him. You know, Oprah crapped all over him, and yet, you know, she, and if you remember when she started her show, she had midget wrestling or little people wrestling or whatever. <laughs> Thank it was. you. I appreciate I was offended initially. Right. And, and yet, you know, she gets away with this shit, but, but see, so here's Lance Armstrong raises millions and millions and millions of dollars for cancer, right? And they dump all over Lance Armstrong. Well, <clears throat> we get in touch and we're talking and he just says, look, you know, no matter what you believe in, you have to believe in, you have to believe in your doctor. Your doctor is like your God. You got to pay attention, okay, because they know. So we're talking and I'm like, you know, asking him about the bike. He goes, no, I go, he goes, I didn't ride the bike to move the chemo around. I rode the bike because it's the only thing I've done my whole life. Because I'd get on it after a treatment, and I'd ride it like a six-year-old. And then by the time I was done, I'd ride, you know, 120 miles, and I'd have to go in for another treatment. And, and I, I said, man, I just, I, it just makes me feel better. I get on it and ride. And he's like, yeah, he goes, it was funny because I went down to the cafeteria once because I was just always worried about what I put in my body. And I walked by this apple fritter, and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy that apple fritter. And, and he goes, and, you know, I just kept looking at that thing, and I wanted to buy it, and I just couldn't buy I couldn't bring myself to, to, to buy the thing. He goes, because I was just, uh, and then finally I said, screw it, I'm buying it, right? And uh, I said, I've done the same exact thing. He goes, I bought an apple fritter 10 days in a row. I ate apple fritters 10 days in a row. He goes, it's, it's just about the things, you just got to do it. He goes, you got it sometimes, you just... He goes, get the calories in you, don't worry. So I sent this, this picture to him, and I, it's a picture of what, like a... Of a <laughs> I, see the, I see the response. What do we got there? It looks like a Sunday or something? It's, it's an Oreo cookie Sunday. Nice. Right? And I send it to him, <laughs> and I said, 
you know, basically screw it. Right. And he goes, Atta boy. <laughs> you could tell, you know, like, it's just funny how you can, but you keep in touch with so many guys, and I've been lucky. Like, I've had so many great people around me. You know, uh, living out in Idaho, I had Michael Smith, who's with Newport Oil. I got a doctor for you in uh, Germany. I'm going to send my plane to get you. We're going to take you and Raylan over to Germany. I had uh, Joe Russo from, you know, from uh, Let Me Get It Right, because I'm, if I screw it up with, with, you know, he does all the Marvel movies. Okay. Okay. Joe's an unbelievable guy. Same thing. Hey, I got a doctor in Switzerland. I, th I think you should see this doctor. Just go, let me know. I'll just pick you up in my plane and take you over there. And, you know, I'm, I'm going up to see uh, my son. I Hopefully he doesn't hear this anywhere. And I'm surprising him tonight. Well, I'll see him tomorrow. And um, a buddy of mine's got a plane up there, and he's, he's just flying me back home after the, you know, because I get to see the kid. It's his last year of junior uh, hockey. And so just people like that. And then, you know, to wake up in the middle of, <laughs> you know, I told Stu Grimson this when I was sick right early when I was, it was actually a Nashville deal. And, you know, I fought Stu 11 times and I wake up and he's sitting beside my bed. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you better do it now because you're owing 11, pal. <laughs> this is your best chance. <laughs> and it just, just the whole, you know, the whole conglomerate talk and spending five hours in there, oh, just surprising me and stopping in. Cam Neely, Gretzky, um, there's so many guys. Jackman was there all the time. Twister was there all the time. Jimmy Peel was there all the time. Like guys, you know, and and it's not and it's not that I expect people to come in. I, like it's just the fact that I think on the plane I I wanted to write down the the days on the 17th of November when people started to find out to I got to the 1st of December. And I had 400 people that had texted me. Now, I don't know what a lot of people's Rolodexes look like, and I'm pretty fortunate because mine is probably close to 6,000 people in there. But I haven't even started to try and write down all the names again because that doesn't count the people that call me. And then there was, of the 34 days that I was in that hospital, the first to start with because... I don't mind fighting. I'd like to see the size of the bastard, and I didn't know exactly <laughs> what I was fighting, you know? And so, you know, what I did find out was this guy's pretty tough. <laughs> Fights with both hands and can take a punch, all right? Um, but there was 10 days in there that I just don't even remember. Like, I don't remember. I was sick, and, you know, they had taken infection out of me, and I woke up on the table and defibbed, and, you know, they get my heart going again, and... Just things that I don't even remember, you know, and I, you know, and of course there's some states that I was in where I wasn't very pleasant to people that I heard about later and would call people in and say, listen, if I said that, then, and they're not, not, they were medical staff and they would laugh about it. So we've seen that or heard that before, but we weren't coming close to your bed because we were a little more afraid that <laughs> you might get a hold of us or something, you know, but... I was treated very, very well by so many people in that. I can't say enough about Seitman. I can't tell you how lucky we are to have that here. I don't know if you've had anybody that's had an illness that they've had to help you with, but St. Louis is so lucky. I mean, God, what they do is unbelievable. And the way you're treated in them, 
it's just there's nothing that's not explained to you and there's nothing that's, you know, made me uncomfortable. And I don't know, you know, like I've never been in here having a conversation with any of you guys and not been just laughing and joking around the whole time and making fun of it. But honestly, on a serious note, like we really are grateful and should be that, that we have them here. Yeah, we have world-class medicine in no, St. Louis. No question. Truly, and Siteman is at the center of that. Yeah. And, and I know that is one of the reasons why you're doing what you're doing. And I bet there are going to be so many people there, Chaser, uh, on April 5th. You're putting on a hell of a show, but in addition, just to support you and support well, what you're doing and support Siteman. But uh, it, the love that people have for you in this community, and, I, and you're going to be humble about it, and that's that's fine. That's your That's your style. God, I mean, I'm telling you, this is this is wrecked people when they when they found out about it because people love you. Going beyond the playing days, the stories when you come on any show and just f off, you know, well, uh, people want to be there for you. Yeah, it's been overwhelming. I'm I'm, I guess at first I was kind of shocked, and then and then Gretzky bullied me into going to the game on the 22nd. Yeah, I was wondering about that. And I, I kept, he kept saying, no, no, it'll be good for the people. It'll be good for the people. And I, was, I wasn't ready to go to the game. Was that that, that Blackhawks game in yeah, December? Yeah, and I just was like, I'm not, dude, I'm not, you know, I'm, I don't want to go. And then I get out of the car and kid doesn't recognize me and, and starts crying. And I get down the hallway and the security's crying and I get to the, you know, elevator and the elevator ladies crying. And it was, it was tough because you've been around there so long and you know these people so well. So I said to Ray Lynn, you know, I said, and I was with Twister too uh, when I mentioned this, and I said, you know, just to let you know that, I said, people are scared. And they're like, they're not scared of you, they're not scared of you. And I said, they're not scared of me, they're scared for me. Because they, they, this isn't what they expect of me. So my wife's like, oh, that's crazy. They're not scared. And I said, <laughs> I made a living out of knowing when people were scared. <laughs> I, I, I know when they're scared. And she and uh, Twister said, Raylan, they're scared. It's okay. And he certainly made a living out of knowing when people are scared. <laughs> so so the, the whole thing of it is, uh, is I'm, I, was, I am overwhelmed. I'm I'm grateful. I hope people come out. I hope I hope it's just such an overwhelming success that um, that it's a way of saying thank you to everybody. Um, you know, we will have some surprises. We will have some cool things happen, and, and it's just going to be a great night. You know, I, I know that um, I know I've got guys calling me from all over the country. And 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 not even out, and out of country saying I'm gonna come I'm coming back for this, and and I'm like I'm trying to put this team. I told Bruce I'll send the team today. He's like Chaser, we, like we got to get going here. Like, <laughs> and uh, I so I will I will send something over to him today. But I've been lucky because I've been very fortunate to um, have a lot of good friends outside of the game that weren't just hockey people, but the hockey world is special. Well, what, you, what you've done is make an impact. You know, a lot of people lead their lives and kind of keep to themselves, maybe not touch a lot of other lives, but you have done that. You've made a, a major impact in a lot of people's lives, and that's certainly a legacy to be very proud of. I appreciate it, and I'm grateful for that. And and I think it's I think it's also one of the promises that I kind of made that is, if I ever 
had that platform that I was going to do as much as I could for people. Kusumano uh, asked me a question yesterday if, uh, if I was Taylor, if I was built for this. And I said, geez, I don't know. I don't, I don't think about it like that. And then I thought, you know what? Maybe, maybe I am, you know, like I lost my father when I was young. So, you know, I've, I don't look at it like, Jesus, you know, I've got to cook dinner for whoever and then clean up and then take the, you know, right. or whatever. And not that my family doesn't do anything. I'm just saying, I've never thought about that, about younger siblings taking care of them or whatever. But I've always thought about, about people that didn't have as much because I, well, I, we didn't have as much and just kind of said, if, you know, you get in that position and I think I've, I think I've instilled that in my kids. Um, been very fortunate. We have three great boys. And, uh, and so if there's anything that you don't, you want to make sure it's that you just, you, you can continue to keep that legacy p- a part of it, but teach them. And then, you know, and I'm not ready to go away yet. Yeah. I mean, as Doug just made reference to, you know, oftentimes it, when people go, it, it can be sudden or they're older and, and guys have yeah. passed away. You're getting a chance to see over the last few months in particular, but this has been going on for years with you, how much people love and appreciate you. Yeah. And it's not just fans who watch, but it's certainly a lot of fans, but it's all these people in the game. And then also, as you made reference to, beyond the game. I mean, I know this is brutal. I mean, I can't say I know. I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm seeing it through your eyes. But that what a validation for the way you've conducted yourself throughout your life to have people wanting to come to St. Louis on April 5th to be there for you. Yeah, no, I, I, look, you know, I, I needed to get out of St. Louis. Um, I went to Vegas to our, our sales seminar, Stay Tonight, and it was with discovery and I, and everyone's like, I can't believe you're here. I can't believe you're here. And I'm like, I need to get here. I need to be around. I needed to work. I need to do stuff. But the validation I think comes when you get to Toronto, the all-star games on and I didn't stay for the skills of the all-star, but I was there the night before when we presented the man of the year award to the 67 Toronto Maple Leafs, the last team that won in, in Toronto. And, you know, for me, being able to be on stage with those guys and and just the reception from the crowd um, was unbelievable. And then to know that when you you know you get to go into the Hall of Fame, I'm the chairman of the NHL Alumni Association, so I I was speaking at the Hall of Fame. And when you're walking out of the Hall of Fame, and you know Brian Trotche and Lanny McDonald and guys that you they were your heroes. They're walking up to you saying, wow, that was an impressive speech. That was awesome. That was, you know, you you look at it like, okay, well, there's some type of achievement there, but there's gratification in knowing that you were able to take something from each one of those guys and learn something and then just hopefully give it back and, or pay it forward, however you want to look at it. I tell guys all the time, you know, if I'm buying dinner for guys that stop into restaurants and I don't know who they are, but I know they're from the other team and I can get somebody to go find out who they are and buy their dinner and they'll come over and thank me and say, listen, you owe somebody dinner now. I don't know what kid you're buying dinner for, but you owe them dinner. And I think because it's happened to me, it's just, I think it's, I mean, karma's real and I believe that. And so, you know, it's going to be a great time. It's going to be a great bunch of fun, but 
Um, I also believe there's going to be a lot of good that's going to come of this. I think it's not just going to be a party. It's going to be something that someone's going to someone's going to benefit from it in a big way. And um, and I and I believe that. Well, I think it's no surprise either that you know you could have somebody do this for you. You know, you Tony Twisby saying, "Hey, we're putting together this thing for for Kelly. We're going to raise some money yeah. for Simon." That's not you. You've been helping people in this city and all over the, the country for a long time. That's not you. You want to do this yourself. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not doing it myself. I'm going to tell you that. I got a lot of help with me. My son, uh, Will, came home after. <clears throat> he's still working here, but he's working. Um, he's a brand manager for both the tequila and the vodka company and doing very well and working two or three jobs, and he's helping him. And, and my business partner out of Canada is helping, and Bruce Affleck's been unbelievable, and the alumni in the Blues. But, but I also wanted to, if we're going to do it, like I wanted to use my Rolodex, and there's very few times I'm going to, I would say less than twice where I would reach out to the people in there, to some of them, and say, hey, I kind of need you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I called them. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, what, what do you need? Well, what can I do? And, uh, you know, like, there's going to be a coach that's going to be on the bench, and you're going to go, no way is that guy here. <laughs> and, you know, they'll announce who it is soon, and they'll, same thing, you know, like, you just, you get very few opportunities to make a really, really big impact. Like, yeah. you can make them all along the way. I just thought if I could use them. If I could use some of the people that I knew to try and make this a little bit bigger and a little bit better, that I would be better off helping out and hopefully help someone else. Well, there's charities all over the city that I guarantee you, if you, ask, you ever been in touch with Kelly Chase, yeah. yeah. You're always there helping people out. Well, it's, it, I, I, you know what's funny? I spoke at the men's cancer you know, event the year before at the Ritz-Carlton, and I was going to go and do this thing where they were going to shave my head the next like you know it's two weeks away two weeks away it's 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 bizarre you're there speaking at it the year before yeah and then and, and then, then you're in the center of the arena and here you are going uh oh in my turn yeah yeah right? and it's the same exact stuff we were talking about or people were up talking about and you're listening to them and you're going well that's nice that i was able to come and speak tonight and help and they made a nice donation to a, you know a charity there a kids group for me and because mm -hmm. I came and spoke and then and a year later you're like holy yeah there God. you are in the middle you of know, the fight yeah so you don't know and um I just tell people too like I you know honestly like like you gotta have an you, you can't get married to your bed when you're in there you gotta get up and get moving and you and you gotta have a you gotta have an attitude like you're coming out of there yeah. you know because like I said, he's a tough bastard, yeah. and uh, you 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 got to go in there ready to punch him in the nose a few times. And then my brother said to me the other day, "How's it coming?" And I said, "No, how's the fight?" I said, "Well, I can tell you this has been the longest one I've had in a while, but I'm about ready to shake off my right elbow pad, and when I get that off, somebody's going to get it." And he started <laughs> laughing, and he said to me, "Well, I'm glad to hear," and he's a hundred percent match, and. uh I uh, told him, I said, my youngest son's six four and a half. He's 225 pounds, and he's tougher than barbed wire. So I told my brother, I said, hey, I don't, I don't mind, you know, like, 
I hope you're not going to be offended by this, but I said, uh, I wasn't going to have Luke checked to see if he was a hundred percent match too. Just once before my, before my, uh, Oh, goes. look at that. I saw this. This is uh, goes, this fight. I said I was going to have that <laughs> him checked just once just to make sure because if I can have some of that 20-year-old blood, I'm going to take some oh, of that. Oh, my God. What an ass-kicking this was. You posted those on Twitter a couple weeks ago, right? Well, I sent it out, and then he got mad at me. <laughs> and then, then Missing Curfew did a whole thing on it, and I said, hey, how come you didn't say anything about them? They're not my father. I don't need you trying to pump my tires, Dad. And I'm like, okay. Oh, my goodness. Boy, you got to be proud of that one. Well, I kind of, I, I'm proud of him, but I'm also like, you know, my mom, she's, she's concerned. She's like, I hate the fact that that's the, what he's doing now. <laughs> His beaten ass. <laughs> well, he's going to be more than 11 no against anybody. <laughs> uh, God bless so America. I, yeah, so I, so I took the picture of, I took the picture of, sent it to my brother. I took a picture. I said, here, I said, uh. We're just going to have his blood checked before we do the bone marrow <laughs> oh transplant. <my> <laughs> we have the bone marrow transplant. And my brother's like, so you want my bone marrow or you don't? <laughs> I think he has to respect the strategy. Uh, Chaser, we could go forever. This has been unbelievable. Uh, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, thank you so this. much for everything you are doing and continue yeah. to do. And you have millions and millions of people pulling for you in your fight. Thank you so much, brother. Yeah, I appreciate all Thanks, of you. Buddy. You guys have always uh, been great. And like I said, usually when I'm coming in, we're having a lot more fun and not, not as serious a talk. But but I think this is going to be good, and I think this is going to—I really believe, and I hope it's— I hope it's not one of your family members or kids or whatever it is, but I hope that it's there for them should it ever happen. Yeah. Ticketmaster so. goes on sale tomorrow, yeah. April 5th at Centene, and uh, it sounds like it's going to be incredible. It's I mean, it sounds awesome. like it's going to be incredible. It's Kelly Chase, great the great Kelly Chase in studio. This will take a commercial break, come back with the final segment here of TMA.